You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're celebrating today. We're spending time with family. Got a lot of good things going on. Uh, but we want to spend some time in God's Word. Uh, one of the things we love to do at our church is go book by book through, uh, through the Bible, verse by verse. And uh, so we're covering Psalms during the season of Advent. And next month, we're going to be jumping into the book of Ephesians, the second half of it. Um, if you're new to our church, please connect with someone or uh, reach out after Christmas and let us know how we can get to know you and serve you. We'd love to connect in that way. My name is Will. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, would love to connect with you. And um, just a quick reminder, we'll be having one service again next week as well, just given that it's New Year's Day. We will have uh, kids' classes next week, um, so it won't be quite as cramped in here. We did buy a new building, if you hadn't heard that, and so, um, so we're longing to get into that, um, but, but sometime next year we'll be able to move into a new building and have, have more space. And so I appreciate you guys um, making space and kind of crowding in here today. Um, as we look at Psalm 117, um, uh, let me just go ahead and read the, the psalm, and, um, and, and we want to spend some time just reflecting on, on what this psalm calls us to do. Psalm 117, verses uh, 1 and 2 are the only two verses there. Uh, the Word of God says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This was a simple psalm. It was, um, it was maybe even used as, as, a, as a kind of a tag on the end of other psalms that, that the Jews would sing, um, maybe similar to the way that we use the doxology today, how we would kind of tag that onto the end of other songs that we sing in worship. And um, with the shortness of Psalm 117, it's, it's most likely that that's, that's what was done. That's what was used when, uh, when they would sing other psalms. They would kind of tag this on the end. And what's most interesting about this is it's a call for all people to worship the one true God. Verse 1 says, all nations are, are exhorted to praise the Lord. And this is what, um, I, I think this is a fitting psalm for Christmas because it reminds us of what God is doing in the incarnation. Um, as he's calling all nations to himself, as he's coming to all nations, as God becomes a man. Um, you see, ultimately, Christmas is about children. So I love seeing all the kids sitting up here talking to a shepherd and my mom, and, uh, because ultimately, Christmas is about children. It's about Jesus, but it's about, it's about God becoming a child. Um, and it's about uh, the, the, the promised spiritual offspring of God. And I want to show you this from Scripture. In the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's creation, how he creates with love. He creates mankind in the image of God. In Latin, we would say the imago Dei. And in Genesis 3.15, after, after man falls and sins, Adam and Eve uh, disobey God uh, through temptation of the serpent, as God begins to curse Satan, the serpent, in Genesis 3.15, he tells Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so from the very beginning of the Bible, you see a promise of offspring, a promise of children that will be born. And he says children of Satan will be opposed to the children of God, and namely one promised seed of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent. Uh, this promise continues through the book of Genesis, and in Genesis 15, uh, God makes a covenant with a man named Abram. His name meant father of a nation, and God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and he pulls him outside at night one night, and he tells him to look up in Genesis 15, 5. He sa says he brings Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, God revealed his plan uh, to Abram to have, uh, to have offspring, that God would have his own children that were more numerous than the stars in the sky. And, and as he reveals this to Abram, he, he progressively reveals this to the rest of crea- creation as he establishes the nation of Israel, uh, promises given to them through prophets that foretell that a virgin would give birth, that this promised seed promised in Genesis chapter 3 was all the time on his way and coming. And, 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 and the people of God anticipated this. They had an advent of this, this, this holy longing for God to come and be with them. And for that promise to be realized, the promised seed had to come. In Galatians 3.16, we get insight of what God was doing in the Old Testament. It says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to your offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so as God foretold, just like we had a child demonstrate to us, the foreshadowing of the scriptures was foretelling us that there would be one, an anointed one, in Hebrew, Messiah, in Greek, Christ, that would come to be the promised one, to be the savior of the world. And in Romans 9, if we uh, would be amiss to think that this is, uh, this is exclusive to Israel, the nation that came from Abram, um, we see in Romans 9 that this applies uh, spiritually, not ethnically, not by race, but by faith. And in Romans 9, 8, it says this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. And so this beautiful promise of the Bible, of of children becoming children of God and children being born, it it gives us a picture of God creating an everlasting family. Not not based on where we are born or the family we're born into or our, our race or ethnicity, but based on who we place our hope and faith in, whether it's in the serpent or whether it's in the Messiah. You see, Christmas is the celebration of God coming to establish his family coming to be with us. The incarnation comes from the Latin word incarnate, which means in the flesh. And what we celebrate at Christmas is God becoming man. Without God becoming offspring, we could never have become children of God. For me to become a child of God, God had to become a child of man. Um, And this is why Jesus's favorite term to refer to himself was the son of man. We most commonly maybe call him the son of God, but Jesus most commonly called himself the son of man. For Jesus to be God was very natural to him, but for him to become man was something that no mankind could have ever written a script of. This beautiful truth blows our minds every December, year after year after year, as we turn our attention and our gaze and our calendars to the fact that God put on flesh to come and save us. In 44 BC, there was a man named Julius Caesar who was uh, murdered. Um, he, was, he was killed in March. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Ides of March, beware the Ides of March, mid-March. Um, and Julius Caesar was killed at that time, and he had an adopted son uh, who would go by Caesar Augustus. And Augustus uh, wanted to honor uh, Julius. And so they held these, um, in 44 BC, they held these um, this, this massive ceremony in Rome. And they had games in the Colosseum and they brought everyone together uh, for this. And it coincided, and, and coincidentally, there happened to be a comet. Um, astrologists and, and scientists even can trace 
um, this in the, in the history of the stars, but there happened to be a comet that was very visible and very clear and prominent in their sky at the time. And Caesar Augustus uh, used that comet as a way to honor uh, Julius Caesar. And he, he said that that comet, that star, as he called it, that star in the sky was a sign that man, namely Julius Caesar, had become a god. And, and they believed this so much so that, that Caesar Augustus, when they, when they had their, their coins made with his face on it, with his uh, rendition on one side, on the, on the flip side of that coin, he had a star put on that coin. And, and there was a phrase that was common in Rome that, that the star reminded them that man had become God. What we celebrate as Christians, and, and particularly at Christmas, is a different star. And, and what God did when Jesus was born, that he hung a star in the sky supernaturally so that the world could see. And his declaration wasn't that man can become God's, but rather the reverse, that God had become a man. And this happened in what we call Anno Domini in Latin or in English, the year of our Lord. And our calendars are even set by this. And in that year, God declared something very important, the incarnation, that for us to be saved and have eternity with God, God would become man to save us. And for that reason, we come to Psalm 117 and we say, all nations, praise the Lord, all peoples extol him and lift him high. Because he has moved heaven and earth to come and be with us. Don't miss the miracle of this. The infinite God made himself finite. You ever think about this just mind-blowing truth? The sovereign Lord. Jesus didn't come into existence at Christmas. Jesus is eternal. He's God. He's always existed. The Son has always been at the Father's side with the Holy Spirit. Yet at Christmas, he put on flesh and made himself dependent on a teenage mother. Y'all ever try to teach a, a young person how to care for kids? Like, it's nerve-wracking, isn't it? Like, if you've ever had, like, teenagers and you let them hold your baby for a little bit, like, it, it scares you to death. You're like, don't drop the kid, you know, teaching the kid how to, how to take care of it. And, and you have Mary, who's a virgin and, and probably historically a teenager, and, and she's giving birth to God incarnate. And God himself has made himself dependent on this girl. That, like, Jesus needed his butt to be wiped. You ever think about that? Like, he, he had to receive his sustenance um, at, at her breast. That he was fully, physically dependent on a teenage girl. And, and he did this so that he could be fully man. So that we could not have an argument against God and say, well, it's not fair. We couldn't stand against the temptation of sin. There was no way that we could be good enough. But God became man so he could endure our entire plight, go through everything that we've gone through, experience all the heartache and pain that we experience, yet overcome it, live a perfect life, die on a cross, raise from the dead, and give free salvation to jacked up sinners like you and me. What mind-blowing truth. And ever since that year of our Lord, the cry rings out to all people to come and get in on this. It's an invitation to everyone. Look at Psalm 117.1. It says, praise the Lord, all nations. There's, there's no exclusivity in this invitation. Extol him, all peoples. Like, you ever get a, you ever get a wedding invitation? Wedding invitations are getting out of line. 
right? Like you open it and there's like a noisemaker in it and confetti shoots out and they're electronic and they're just getting crazy, right? And, and wedding invitations are very exclusive, probably because you got to pay like $15 per invitation, right? You're not trying to invite a whole bunch of people. So you're inviting specific people. Um, and, but if you're wanting to have an event where you're inviting everyone, what do you do? You don't go all out on the invitations. You just hang flyers up. You, you ask the city of Milton to put on that LED marquee out at town, right? And, but, but here's what God does is he invites everyone, yet he, he pulls out all the stops with his invitation. In the incarnation, God himself has personally come to earth to invite you to be a part of his family. In Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus clash with Pharisees and Sadducees. And what the religious leaders of Jesus' time had gotten wrong and, and really diverged from the Old Testament saints is they had become nationally exclusive. They had forgotten verses like Psalm 117.1 where the call was to all nations and all peoples. You see, the religious elite of Jesus' day had ignored that call to the nations and thereby they missed the mission of God for his people. Jesus comes and corrects them. One example of this is in Mark 11.17. He's teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? but you've made it a den of robbers. You see, Paul actually used this verse from Psalm 117. He quoted it in Romans 15, 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And let all the peoples extol him. He used this to show that God's plan all along was to invite every person to come and be in a relationship with him and to be in his family. Church, let, let, me, let me preach this to you as clearly as I can. May we as Christians not be found of religious exclusivity. The Jews found themselves guilty of national exclusivity, but, but I think sometimes as Christians we find ourselves guilty of religious exclusivity that, that we shun people that are, are coming from different backgrounds than us or haven't been raised the same way as us or in a different class than us or maybe don't understand the Bible like we do. May we find ourselves with a spirit and a heart of the incarnated God that we worship and what he wrote in Psalm 117.1 that all peoples... Regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how bad you've messed up, regardless of how much personally I might not like you, you are welcome in Jesus' family. The church is no place for exclusivity. The only exclusivity we find is we hold our foot down on the truth that there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved but Jesus alone. And we call all people to that. Verse 2 tells us this great truth. Great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This psalm begins and ends with the phrase, praise the Lord, which in Hebrew is hallelujah. Hallel means to praise, and Yah meaning Yahweh, hallelujah. Um, and so if you guys ever shout out hallelujah and don't know what you're shouting, that's what you're shouting. You're, you're speaking Hebrew, and you're, sh you're shouting praise the Lord, hallelujah, to God Almighty. And so this psalm says um, in verse 2, great is his steadfast love toward us. You know, um, when I get an invitation to something, I usually, and this is probably the sinful part of me, but I usually ask myself, what's in it for me if I go to this thing I'm being invited to, right? Like, if it's a wedding invitation, is there a little checkbox of like chicken or, or steak, like where I, I get to choose my meal a little bit? Is it going to be a good meal? 
right? I don't want Chick-fil-A catered. That's not what I'm interested in. If you're catering Qdoba, I'm here for that. Um, but like, are, is there food there? Are there prizes to be won? You know, like I, I, I tend to say like, what's in it for me? Um, but, but here, I, there's, there's this great shift in this invitation from verses one to two. Verse one is this all call, pull out all the stops, invitation, praise the Lord, hallelujah, all peoples, all nations. But then in verse two, it gets personal and we begin to see some of the benefits of the invitation. Because it says, great is his steadfast love. Directed where? Toward all nations and all peoples? No, toward us. You see how the language changes from universal to personal. You see, the testimony of why all people should come to the Lord rests in the testimony of the people that the Lord has saved. Verse 1 invites all the nations and all peoples, and verse 2 says his great love is toward us, those who have accepted the invitation, those who have come into the family of God. The Hebrew word that's used is hesed, which means it's even hard to translate into English, but it basically means um, love, mercy, and grace all wrapped into one word to describe God's covenant with his family. And so you have this beautiful picture of God doing exactly what he promised in Genesis 3 and Genesis 15 and what we see revealed in Galatians 3 and Romans 9, that God is taking from all nations, all peoples, all different backgrounds, regardless of what you've done, and he's not counting our sins against us, and he's adopting us into one nation, one kingdom, one citizenship, one faith, one baptism. And so through this baby in a manger and through his perfect life and through his death and resurrection, we now have an eternal hope that's rested in someone else's perfection, not on our own failures. As the angel cries out to Mary in Luke 1, I'll finish with this. Luke 1, 31 says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Listen to this. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. So you're here to reflect that, that of of this child's kingdom, this man, this God, Jesus, of his kingdom, there is no end. Billions of people around the world today are celebrating that he is king. And you've joined in on that. And so the the question I'm going to leave you with today is, is, is he king of your life? Is he Lord of your life? Have you fully submitted your life to him? Or is December 25th just a day on your calendar? Because if he is Lord of all, then he will, he will take the highest priority in your family, in your routines, that, that he will be prioritized in the way that you live and even the way that you eventually die. That he will be supreme and all of your hope will not be in if you're good enough, not if you made the nice list, but all of your hope will be placed in the one who was perfect in your place. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.